Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast after one of the greatest weekends of the 2020 running year. Valencia Marathon and Half Marathon were outstanding as expected. The Half Marathon world record was obliterated by Kibbawat Candier and three other men as well. First four men in history to go under 58 minutes. We're going to talk all about that. We had Olympic standards galore at the track meet out in California, including Wayne Kaladi, the NCAA cross-country favorite, going pro and hitting the standard in the 10K. World Athletics has reversed course not once but twice. Prototypes in the 5K are both back, baby. And Alephine Tuliamak, the U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon champion, is pregnant. There will not be cross-country in the Olympics in 2024 and a lot more. Guys, I think we have to start in Valencia. But you know, how how are you guys doing? We had Ravens versus Cowboys last night. Uh, Robert, those are your two teams. Are you doing okay? Thanks for asking, John. Traumatic time for me. I feel like someone's. It's like Jonathan Edwards when he gave up his religion for the first time in my life. Life, well, not the first time. Well, in a significant way, maybe I rooted against the Cowboys. My the team that I was born and raised with. I rooted for them to lose and. I was afraid they'd let me down for the last 25 years. I was afraid they actually were going to win the game and knock the Ravens out of the playoffs. But thankfully, my new team, folks, the Baltimore Ravens won, even though my neighbor did not play. He was injured. People might be able to narrow down who my neighbor is now, but uh, doing okay. Doing okay, John. Thanks for asking. Well, then. I'm also disappointed about one other thing, though. I don't know if Weldon's feeling the same way. I just – I wish I I was a little scared of COVID. I, I wish I had taken the trip to Valencia. If I had just entered the half marathon, I would have had a I would have had a twenty percent chance of setting the world record. Twenty percent of the field set a world record. So, you know, I you know I, I play the lottery occasionally, once or twice a year, and I've only got like a one in fifty million chance of doing something big. I could have had a you know twenty percent chance of setting a world record. Yeah, well, I, maybe if you'd done, I think if you look at the numbers. In the full marathon, I think pretty much everyone broke three hours. So you would have had, I think, a hundred percent chance of winning that bet against me. So that would have made meant sense as well. John, I'm I'm very depressed right now. This is very depressing. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, and my identical twin brother says he was rooting against him. This is traumatic. The Cowboys are what now three and nine. I think their playoff chances are down to two percent. If we win out, we'll still be at thirty percent. I'm the guy who started. 2020 Dallas Cowboys official Super Bowl thread. I couldn't even go on there and keep a straight face last night. So I need to pick me up. Let me, uh, what came in the mail, Robert? I think you may have gotten one of these. Sorry, John, this only went to corporate. You guys see this thing? It's called the runnerbox.com. It's the perfect Christmas gift. Let me open this up. What do I got here? Some veggie sticks, some PB Fit peanut butter powder. Ooh, look at this thing. Bob's Red Mill Oatmeal Organic Meat Oatmeal. Oh, here we go. Some double chocolate chip cookies. Some science and sport go electrolyte recovery supplement. Torpo bar. There's tons of stuff on here. I haven't even gotten to the expensive stuff. Runner box exclusive neck gator. Ooh. Braku compression sleeves. John, all of this was shipped to me. Cliff Bar, Cliff Box, all of this can be yours. It's the perfect Christmas gift. Go to therunnerbox.com. This is what every runner needs the Christmas holiday season. You can get a subscription or you can send a one-off box. This thing here even recaps the value I got. I mean, this is a great gift. So one-off purchase or 
sign yourself up right now for a six-month subscription to runnerbox.com. Link is in the show notes as well. Once I eat some of these cookies, John, I'm going to feel better, but let's let's just turn to the action. We got to just get right into this. You and I, John, had a big talk yesterday with a special guest about some of this as well. I think we can tell people who the special guest is well then. We we have Malcolm Gladwell, esteemed author and podcaster, will be on the podcast. Subscribers, letsrun.com slash subscribe. If you join the supporters club, you'll get early access, and then we'll roll it out eventually for our regular listeners as well. Great chat, but yeah. Here's what we the big question, guys, coming out of Valencia. I mean, have world records lost all meaning? Four guys under 58 minutes. Is it just – are you excited by this anymore? Well, I interrupt you, guys. Uh, guys, just recorded the podcast interview with Gladwell. I don't think John made that clear. It's going to be dropping for everybody next week. Join the supporters club. Let'srun.com start subscribe. You can get access. When you have a prominent guest like that, do you tell him that, he's not going to, that I'm not going to be on the podcast? It's kind of like going to a Broadway show. And realizing that the understudies shows up when you, after you, you, you bought the front row seats, like when you book this, when you book Godwell in advance, you say, "By the way, Robert's kind of busy; doesn't really want to do the interview with you." I mean, this is a guy who said Letrun.com is his favorite website site. He checks every day. That's in print. He still confirmed he's a huge fan of the site. And all I know is John and I reached out and emailed him. He responded directly to us and. It was pretty clear Rojo wasn't going to be on, and he just came on, and we had a wonderful conversation without the vitriol coming from Robert. It was a, at a higher level, and people are going to like it. We talked a little LeBron James. Of course, running. LeBron James, Malcolm, race. Robert, you, you, can, you can get that organized. You'll be well, rich. Yeah, well, look, we've got plenty of time for you on, to unfurl your hot takes today, Robert. So um... – Valencia, please, unload. Have world records lost all meaning? What do we make of all this? No, world records have not lost all meaning. It's still a world record. We're still talking about it. I guess we're, we're just almost starting from scratch. It's like how the IWF, now World Athletics, there was talk about erasing world records before 1990 or something like that. Like, come on, people. Let's, let's not kid anyone. This is all about the shoes. The true Let's Run junkies, including Gladwell, Robert, right off the bat, he's like, what about the not lack of doping testing in Kenya this year because of COVID-19? I was like, come on, man. This isn't about lack of doping testing. This is about shoe technology radically changing the sport. Your week that was is up. You've pointed out that the world records in the marathon have come down about 1%, a little over 1%. And this was putting the half marathon record in a line with that. It's now improved a little over 1%. And 1% is a lot in a race that's over an hour. So the fourth place guy, some guy no one's ever heard of, he ran 57.59. In case you didn't know, Jeffrey Cranmore's old world record was 58.01. And that was running super shoes as well. I mean, John, you asked, have they lost all, all meaning? I wouldn't say all meaning, but nearly all meaning. I mean, I'm still kind of, well, right. Like I'm a little bit excited when I hear it. I mean, I, I guess, John, we should tell the story. So, on um, what Friday night, I stayed up watching the, the track meet, working on that recap. And then Saturday night, I'm like, I got to go to bed. I can't stay up till, you know, the race was starting at what, 2, 2 in the morning? Yeah. For the half marathon, 2.30 for the marathon. So I told John about midnight. I said, John, I'm going to sleep. John's like, I'm staying up all night. I'm like, okay. I said, I'm going to go to sleep. I'll wake up when you're done for writing your recaps, and I'll edit them and help you get them up. And he said, okay, good. He said, why don't you get up around 5.30 or 6.00? I said, okay, I'll wake up at 5.30. So I said, all right, John, I'm going to bed now. Do not call and wake me up 
unless there's a world record. I think I said maybe in the marathon, right? You said men's half marathon or either marathon, I think. Yeah, John, let's get this right. Let's get the sexism out there. I think he said unless there's a men's world record or the women's marathon, which wasn't going to happen. But now in fairness to Robert before the woke brigade comes after him, the women's world record has just been obliterated of late. It's like every other weekend it goes yeah, down. And so they've got like I two think world records for the women. You got the women's only in the mix. It's it's like so watered down. I didn't want to get up for that. So I said, yeah, well, only wait, give me a call if the men's half or the men's marathon record goes on. And then sure enough, I'm sound asleep. The phone rings and I was very excited. I said, oh my God, that means a world record's gone down. So I was like, wow, I was kind of thinking the marathon or something. So I was like, wow. So then I glanced over at my phone and I saw that the time was still three minutes. And immediately, within like, there was instant reaction by me. I said, that means the men's half marathon world record's gone. And I said, John, what happened? He's like, you're not going to believe it. The four guys broke the world record or something. I wish I knew exactly what you said. I was like, holy. F. So then I immediately hung up with John and called John Kellogg, who I knew was watching the race. And he said it's like a video game nowadays. I mean, it's just kind of crazy, right? I mean, I have I have multiple people who have been involved in the sport for a long time. I respect their opinions, and they've just they've reached out to me and they just said, "I'm, I'm sorry, I just I can't get excited about this anymore. You can't compare the performances to even five years ago." Like the point, one of these observers he made the point that, I mean, Candier, are we sure that this world record his 5732 is that even is that better than Zersonated essays 5823 from 10 years ago i mean robert you made the point in the week that was candier he ran 5858 to win rak back in february and that wasn't in the super shoes then he uses the super shoes this fall he runs 5838 in prague then he gets second in the world half i think another sub sub 59 and then he runs 57.32, and they're just pr- all the Adidas athletes are taking photos with these shoes, with their times on the shoes. Like Adidas is loving all this publicity, but is it that he's a better runner by a, a minute and a half from February, or is he just wearing superior equipment? And I think it's pretty obvious it's the latter. Oh yeah, John, no way is this record superior to Zerson essay to that to old record. No, I'm not saying that at all. It's still world record. I'm kind of impressed the guy ran 57 minutes. Maybe I shouldn't be. It's it's cool. It's a new frontier, but they're not coming back. They're not putting the genie back in the bottle. So I think we just have to accept it. They could have done something. They didn't. I was talking to Meb Kaflevsky. What, Robert? Robert's all up in arms here. I'm not, I'm not up all in arms. You're saying that they haven't put the genie in the bottle. And that they're not going back, they still could reverse course. How long did it take swimming to reverse course, though? I feel like swimming did it pretty quickly. But I love the quote that I had in, in the week that was. I brought it back after Ken Go on this podcast said that he loved my column. So I've written written one this week for the first time in about six, seven months. Guys, objective observer here, it is actually very good and you should read it. You know, this isn't just Rojo's ego trip. But Tony Mon, Mon, you know, Minicelli, who's not even a distance guy. This is Jessica and his Hills former coach. He said, world athletics had a chance to be all in on shoe technology or all out like swimming did in banning those suits. They have gone all in. So in case you haven't realized it, the same day that these world records, I think are set world athletics also decides, Hey, by the way, the shoe rules that we had a few months ago, we changed our minds. We're going to actually allow prototypes moving forward. Why did they do this to me? And now in my mind, this is the ultimate vindication. They're acknowledging that the shoes or the end-all and be-all, that they determine the results of these races. 
originally Nike only had the super shoes. They decide, you know, they realize kind of, okay, that's probably unfair. We can't let people wear secret shoes like what happened in 2016 when only a select few athletes have it. We want to ban the prototypes. But now they realize, well, wait, these other shoe companies are trying to play catch up. Adidas apparently has caught up, maybe even be ahead of Nike. But there's a lot of other brands that haven't caught up that don't even have super shoes. So it's not fair for those sponsored athletes if they don't, if they can't wear a shoe, can't catch up. So in my mind, this new shoe rule is really an acknowledgement. John doesn't agree with my logic here that what happened in 2016, I think we already had it, but I, I just wish both of us admitted what happened in 2016 was wrong. It was mechanical doping. And I still think that there possibly should be an invalidation of the 2016 Olympic marathon results. Anyone playing the Olympic, the let's run podcast drinking game, take your drink. There's one of Robert's go-tos. And you've got the ultimate now asterisk next to that bronze medal in Galen Rupp in the men's marathon. And Tony Minnichiali says it best right here. Let's say a brand has two athletes, one they have invested in and is the face of a global marketing campaign and one they haven't. Which one do you think gets the new exciting prototype? Well, guess what happened in 2016? The golden boy, Galen Rupp, Alberto Salazar's favorite. He got to wear the Nike super shoes. Immediately, so did the gold medalist, Ilya Kipchoge, and the silver medalist. But the fourth placer, Gourmet Gebrselassie of Eritrea, um, he was not wearing the super shoes. He was only one minute behind Rob. Do you think these shoes are worth one minute in the marathon? Absolutely. So, John, your task for this week is to reach out to Gerber Celeste's agent and see if he was offered these shoes before 2016. Maybe he turned them down, didn't like them. Some of these runners, you know, Jerry Schubacher's athletes didn't first want to wear them. They didn't think they were any good or they were skeptical. So maybe he could have been skeptical. But, you know, it's not just now by who's the best runner. It's about who has the best runner com combined with who has the best shoes. Yep. And I do disagree with one thing Walden said. He also said it's obvious that it's the shoes. It's not obvious to me that all these performances are the shoes. I mean, look at some of these track times, and we're going to talk about this soon, that the, the people are running fast all over, and some of them aren't wearing super, super track spikes. Like, look at all these Olympic women's 10,000-meter qualifiers. So, um, but – Clearly, in the half marathon, I know I hadn't thought about that, Walton. I yes, the new world record in my mind is probably inferior to Tristan essays world record. Yeah, Robert, I think it's interesting the prototype thing. Just to shed a little light on it, because you sort of, I think you sort of suggested this, and it, it's right. I was talking to people um, at the Olympic trials in Atlanta. You know, people in the shoe industry, that sort of thing, and. They would say the reason why these prototypes are being allowed is because the shoe manufacturers, as a whole, pushed back against World Athletics rule. And they're like, hey, we want prototypes. We use them. Like we have our top athletes test prototypes and wear prototypes in these top competitions. And the issue in 2020, now the pandemic avoided this. The issue is in 2020 was Nike rolled out pretty much their entire line of spikes that all of their sponsored athletes were going to use in the Olympics. They rolled them out in like January or February. So those shoes were already on the market and they were going to use them. Other shoe, shoe companies like, Puma and you know Reebok and other brands like that, they had the athletes. Sorry, and Saucony, I think as well. The shoes that their athletes were going to use at the Olympic Games, they were you know getting them ready, but they weren't going to be released publicly until after the Olympics. So they were going to say, "Wait, this is this is unfair." The Nike athletes can compete in their super shoes because they've released them. They beat us to market, whereas we can't compete in our super shoes because we haven't released them yet. So that was what they were really terrified about, and I think they were considering suing world athletics if that didn't you know they didn't reverse course but 
now the pandemic changed things and now they were allowed to prototype. So that problem has been solved. But that's sort of some inside baseball there for you. Robert said he disagreed with something I said. That is not possible. I just devoured this double chocolate cookie. This thing's vegan, gluten-free, which I'm not a vegan guy. This thing was the damn best cookie I think I've had in ages. So I'm on another level. I'm killing it. TheRunnerBox.com. Thank you. Okay, Robert. Of course it's the shoes. Like, like four guys run 57-59. What, they just like magically – like I'm usually one about the mental side of things, change their mindset. The shoes made a difference. It made a huge difference. The track stuff I haven't figured out, but some people are wearing higher stack height spikes now. So we're going to see this in the track soon. My main concern is, is this a level playing field? And that's still the issue. It used to be who was the best runner. And sure, people would talk about shoes and they represent companies and they would sell companies. But no one really thought somebody had an unfair advantage in somebody else. And now this comes up with Gladwell. Some people may respond to shoes. Some people may not respond to shoes. There's just so much out there. And, you know, oh, it used to be about carbon plates. Well, it's no longer just about carbon plates. This Adidas shoe has carbon rods and a carbon plate. So now is everyone going to catch up? Maybe the Adidas shoe is better. Maybe Nike athletes are at a disadvantage. So it's not who's the best athlete. It may be who has the best shoes. We've got an article up on the shoes. Put a link to that in the show notes. You know, and I don't know. Adidas, someone needs to explain the naming of these shoes to me as well. Adidas, Adi Zero, Adios. A triple triple alliteration there, well then. But there's also Adidas. Wait, there's something else on the name, right? Like Pro. And there's also Adidas, Adi Zero. No, Adidas, Adi Zero pro non-audios but that's not you know the audios is different like like what no wonder nike sold so many shoes theirs was called the vaporfy vaporfy four percent much easier okay for well this so we've talked rightfully about the shoes a lot but i do want to talk about the athletes who ran these times because they are like super shoes or not these athletes are still pretty incredible runners like kibwak kandye he's been the breakout star in 2020 he gets revenge on jacob kiplimo they have a nice little rivalry here actually every time they race it's really exciting Kiplimo, Kiplimo, what he has done in 2020 is absolutely ridiculous. I was talking to my roommates earlier today about this. And he was like, wait, Kiplimo, is he the same guy who outkicked Breger on the track earlier this year? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what? I'm like, you know, actually, he's also the same guy. He outkicked Jakob Ingebrigtsen in a 3K and ran 726. And now this, a few months later, he wins the world half and then he runs 57-37 in the half marathon. I mean, okay, inflate the times, do the shoes, whatever you want, but that's ridiculous. Ronex Kiprudo in his debut runs, what, 57-49, I think, which would have been the world record in his first ever half marathon. And then Alexander Mutiso, who I'll admit I hadn't even heard of before this race. Apparently, he got second at RAK earlier this year. He's the other guy under 59, 58 minutes. So, I don't know. I just think it's a very exciting time that Kiplimo and Candier and uh, Ronex Cabrudo, all of them are 24 or younger. They're going to be dominating the roads, you know, for the next de- decade, perhaps. Roads, roads, roads. I want to see all these guys in the 10,000. Yeah. Throwing Chepta guy, throwing Farah. This is going to be a must see TV. And this is why I think the beauty of a 10,000 at a championship, I get it. The, 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 the masses don't want to watch a 10,000. It comes on at the MCAs and Everyone at Let's Run runs down to the front row and everyone else in the stadium just heads for the exits. But 
the, the drama and, and the intrigue of what's going to happen. I think it's actually beautiful that they don't run that many 10,000s because you don't know who's going to win. And you've got like, it's just the tension builds and builds and builds normally for like, you know, 15, 20 laps until something significant happens. So it's going to be a hell of an Olympic 10,000. And, and thanks to the vaccine, I, I think that we're, we're pretty confident, you know, that's going to be happening. Yeah, and Candy, um, good news there, Robert. Candy A has said he wants to run the Olympics in the 10,000. He doesn't, I mean, I guess Kenya's already main, named their marathon team. We'll see if that changes. But can you imagine a Kenyan 10,000 Olympic team of Cameroon, Kip Rudo, and Kibwat Candy A just going out there and trying to run like, I mean, you think they could run close to world record pace? It would be pretty crazy. Well, yeah, but and then you're going to have Chip the guy and Caplimo. They probably want it to be fast too. Mo Fairman. If that guy somehow does something big, hats off to him because he's going to have five or six guys that would love to see this race be fast as hell. Yeah. So. Yeah. So let's talk there. I mean, there were some other races in Valencia. I want to go to the women's marathon here. Perez Jepchirchir, who has been on fire in the half marathon this year, the world half marathon champion. She goes into the marathon. This is her first one, first European marathon. She wins it easily, 217. I think she's the fifth fastest woman of all time now. And here's Robert brought this point up, which is, is a great point. The World Athletics like year-end awards were held on Saturday, the day before Valencia, and Yulamar Rojas won Athlete of the Year. Jeff Chirchir, she she wasn't done. I mean, she had won, she had set two women's only half marathon world records in her two road races, including a world half marathon championship. Then she comes out and runs 217, beats, you know, wins in Valencia. I think she, her argument certainly went up. I mean, why is World Athletics holding their year-end awards ceremony before the year is actually over? Not smart. I mean, this is the richest event by far, right? Well, maybe London Marathon. This is probably more money, honestly, than London. Valencia, $6 million. So th- they should clearly should have held off on the award. By the way, did you know the track and field news, apparently? They don't even consider the half marathon. Any exploits of the half marathon don't count. For their world, for their world athlete of the year, they don't consider that to be a real event since it's not a championship event. Oh, because is it too modern for them? Like the world, the half marathon is only about twenty years old, so that's probably too modern for track and field news, huh? Yeah, no, she's had a great year. I, I mean, come on, I, I think she clearly should have been the athlete of the year. Um, it, it was some of those athlete of the year things were shocking to me, like Joshua Chepta guy, and um, you know, let's send them back today. We're not even second. They weren't in the top distance runners in some of these votings. People put like um, Safan and Savannah over, over G'day. No, I, I don't agree with that, but whatever. Um, the other results here that we haven't talked about, women's half marathon, does this surprise anybody? The world 1500 meter, the 1500 meter world record holder, Zebe Dababa, everybody, anybody remember her? Only the sister of the, of the greatest female distance runner ever. She... Makes her half marathon debut around 65, 18. Isn't that pretty good range? Like, where is her future? Well, I would have been more surprised by that if Sifan Hassan hadn't done essentially the same thing a couple of years ago. I mean, Sifan Hassan, Zebi Dababa, she's a good 5K runner. I think she's running the 14 teens. And then Hassan, remember, at the end of 2018, she ran 65, 15. So... At the time, I was like, oh, Hassan, maybe she must be some huge outlier with this range. But then when you consider what Dababa has done in the 1500 and 5K where her PRs aren't that different from Hassan, it doesn't totally shock me that she could also move up to the half and, and run really fast. Okay. In regards to Dababa, it's a good run, probably faster than I thought she would run. I don't know what I expected, but I only have so much mental energy. I just 
I don't. I try not to think about Gonzebe de Baba. I don't know if that's bad or what, but there was like the Yama Aden drug raid probably four years ago now. I mean, that's crazy. Three years ago. And she's just so inconsistent. I, I guess as a journalist, maybe I should – which Dababa are we going to see? I, at one point, I thought she was going to obliterate everything. But she'll like have these stinker performances. And it's, there's – I guess in my mind, I just have more doubt about her than a, a lot of others. So, but, but that's almost like unfair. I mean let's think about it. People play it both ways. To, to, to me, inconsistency is a sign that you're not on drugs. You have to train really hard and hit it perfectly to get it right. If you're on drugs, your performances actually should be more consistent unless you're cycling on or off the drugs, which should be caught by the biological passport. So to me, the fact that she's inconsistent, people play both ways. Like, oh, she's inconsistent. She's consistent. No, inconsistency is a sign that you're not on drugs, in my opinion. Because if you're on drugs, you can get, get away with huge training things. But again, let's tarnish the – you know, athletes that were – whose coaches have not been banned. John Hodden has never been banned by World Athletics. But Galen Rupp and all these other people who are, are part of the NLP, of course there's no – you know, they never did drugs. So it, it doesn't – you know, and, and unless they're convicted, we got to act like they're clean. I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't think that's fair. I've always been – if your coach is linked to giving out EPO, they find EPO in raids of the hotel room of your training group – and you're also looking like a freaking superhuman in 2015 when you run 350. Yeah, I'm going to be suspicious as hell. I always have been about Kinsemi Dababa ever since that incident. So I okay. think it's fair to be suspicious. But you're not suspicious of, of Galen Rupp when the coach is found with testosterone in his back? I have a degree of suspicion. It is not as high as it is for Dababa, but obviously it's higher than an average runner who, you know, th- there aren't these su- su- allegations about. I guess there is an allegations with testosterone. There is a degree of uncertainty. But no, I'm more. I'm much more suspicious of Gonzebe Dababa than Galen Rupp, the guy who couldn't break four minutes in the mile but can run 350 indoors. Now, moving on, let's talk about the men's marathon. And this to me was interesting because John, we talked about in last week's podcast, could there be a new number, world number one in the marathon? And people, John, can I? Do you want to go punch him in the face, John? He's all. We can see Robert. I, I, I think it's going to come out today. He just throws it out there and wants to move on to the next thing. Moving on. He doesn't have his proper microphone. You know, sometimes when he says something controversial, he'll – forgot what he does. He, there's some sound I have to, like, edit out of the podcast. You know when something controversial is coming. Yeah, he, he does like a – When I say something arrogant, I would so, inhale through my nose. Yeah, yep. I guess I haven't picked up on this. I, I guess this is a – you just known him longer than I have. John. When you edit the podcast, you know, he's like, oh, he said that one for a <laughs> I mean, Robert in person avoids controversy. I things that I believe, but I said that that last argument right there for sort of the marketing of the podcast. Like, I'm very good at playing devil's advocate. I'm not saying Rupp's dirty. I'm not saying, you know, these Spanish people are dirty. I just think that like, in, in the sport, it's so screwed up and so messed up. We, we like to say, oh, this person's dirty, this person's not. It's really, we're not really intellectually consistent. I th- I think I said I think this is inconsistent. I think I led with that. And also, any um, audio files out there, please, or um, audio companies. This is it for Robert. If he doesn't have a damn effing microphone that works next week, he's off. I mean, this. I have a my we have good microphones. Then I have a backup, which I'm using now because with COVID, sometimes the baby's in the next room. This one blocks out more sound, so it's. The sound isn't as pure, but it blocks out background noise better. I didn't want to do my whole setup. But 
Someone, please. We will plug you left and right. Please send Rojo a mic. I've got a $150 microphone that's apparently broken. I'm going all out. I know what I'm getting then. I'm going to go for $800. Screw it. Yes, no, I am. Hey, guys, stop talking about microphones. Let's talk about running here, okay? okay. Men's race in Valencia. We talked about it. This was Wait. a show. Well, then, go ahead. John, I got to get my free stuff. Email us podcast at let'srun.com for the microphone. We'll work it's not in. podcast, it's pod at let'srun.com. And either one and works. If you want to call it, pick up the phone 538 77 844 let's run 844 538 But yes, men's marathon. We talked about how if Warren's Toronto, Burhani, Legese, Kenya, respectively, if they won this race, they could be considered the world number one because they've been winning everything. And they were in the final three, but then it was down to two. And it was Lawrence Toronto of Kenya and sort of these relatively unknown Evans Chibet. And I'm like, Toronto's won two sprint finishes in his last two races. Wasn't it Chicago and Boston? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a little bit strange. Like he was like leading and trying to push and push and push. He was leading the entire last mile. And then at the end, who wins? Evans Chibet. Gets the win, 203 flat to, to, to um, Toronto's 203.04. And this kind of reminded me because when Toronto won Chicago, it was one of these races. People asked him, like, do you have a good kick? He's like, no, I don't have a good kick. This guy had won two straight majors in kicks. He's like, I, I'm not confident in my kick. He ran like he wasn't confident in his kick. I don't know why he'd be leading. I would like to sit on the other guy and then blow them away. I, I think that's an easier way to do it. But surprising result here because I think if Toronto had won, I would have said, yes, this is the guy to beat. Now I'm going to say, it's still Kipchoge. So it's just, it's the fact that he ran three seconds slower. He's suddenly like, that bumps him down from number one to number two. Well, no, he just, he, the fact that he didn't win the race. Yeah. Um, I mean, watching this, it's interesting though. In the end, I mean, this final sprint, if you watch it closely, Chirono kind of like lost his balance for a weird, for a second. Like he kind of broke rhythm as he was going down the home straight and then. That like he just sort of it seemed like he almost gave up, or at least he kind of that gave Chibet the gap on him, and he wasn't able to close it down. So yeah, he gets out kicked, but it's always close with Lawrence Chirono. I kind of I do kind of agree. I think if Chirono or Legese, we said ahead of time, if they won, they would have been world number one. But now it's very interesting because Evans Chibet. So he he's thirty two years old. This isn't exactly like a new guy bursting onto the scene. He'd run. Nine times out of his 11 marathon finishes, he finished in the podium. So he's always been pretty consistent, but he'd never won a marathon until 2019. And this was clearly, you know, this was his biggest win of his career easily. So where, I mean, what does this leave Athletics Kenya with a, you know, with their Olympic uh, selection process? Because Kipchoge is on the team. Then you've also got the other two guys that I named, uh, Lawrence Chirono and Amos Kiprudo. Well, both of those guys ran very well. Chirono was second in 203.04. Amos Kipruto was fourth in 203.30, and Chibet won in 203 flat. So do you bump Chibet, one of those guys off? Do you bump Kipruto off for Chibet, or do you just leave it? You know, it's not like, Kip, sorry, do you bump Chibet, bump Kipruto off for Chibet, or do you keep Kipruto on because he's still around 203.30? What do you think you would do if you were Athletics Kenya? I think i leave the team as is. It was Kipchoge, Toronto, who else? Who's the other guy? Amos Kipruto, who was the bronze medalist at Worlds last year and uh, fourth in Valencia, 203.30. Well, I mean, I guess if you're going to justify it, like the problem is you could kick, 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 you could kick Kipchoge off, which would be absurd. Or you could, you, you know, I'm fine with 
Robert, come on. I'm just saying, if you're trying to be consistent, well, you have to say, well, under what circumstance am I doing it? It's, this is the problem when you're trying to justify it. Clearly, the picks would be clearly Toronto and Kipchoge still belong on the team. And then I think if you wanted to replace Caputo with Chabat, you could. But again, this is the problem with picking these teams. The Olympic marathon is going to be a completely different ballgame. You know, a warm weather marathon is not anything like running in 48 degree weather. It's just completely different. And if you really want to pick who's going to, you know, are you trying to pick the best marathoners and reward them with an Olympic appearance? Or are you trying to pick people who are going to be the best in a hot weather marathon? I've always said for some people, not all people, a hot weather race is completely different than another race. So they, they tried to do that in 2016, though, because they, for some reason, selected Wesley Correa. I don't know how, like, did he, I don't know how he got on that Olympic team. And, you know, he, he bombed. I think he dropped out. But they were like, oh, he's a hot weather runner. He'll do well in the Olympics. Well, no, he didn't. I mean, there's a principle of fairness. Uh, Athletics Kenny's made such a b- bad marathon selection last time. Uh, They'll the probably do something that just defies logic. Maybe that's not fair. But you don't change the team, I think. Well, there's no way they're getting rid of Kipchoge. But you don't put Evans Chibet on the team because he bet beat Kipruto here by what he bet Toronto by four seconds and he beat Kipruto by 30. So I don't think you redo the Kenyan Olympic team because of some guy did one race, but then I guess it comes the question now do they, Oh, what shoes are these guys running in? I mean, are, are, are we going to go there? Are we going to give these shoes too much credit? It's very unfair to go off of like a sample size of one, but could these shoes be better than the other shoes? I mean, are we going to start wondering like what company, what brand are people sponsored by? I mean, it's just, this is just, and I guess you'd say, oh, and, so, and golf, you have the same thing and stuff. But no. Golf, it's all pretty much the same technology, This right? is a positive to me, the fact that what Will's referring to is in Valencia, there's, there's not a sample size of one. There was four races. Three of the races were won by Adidas athletes. So Chibet had Adidas. Toronto had had Nike. I, I, I feel like the Adidas athletes finally have a chance. I feel like they didn't have a, a fair chance. But again, if I'm one of these other athletes, you know, like if I'm, or Stephanie Bruce or someone like this in America, I'm thinking to myself, hey, I might be on the Olympic team if I was if I'd been in the Nike shoes at the Olympic trials. You know, I mean, Sally Kipiego made the team in Nikes. There was a number of women within a minute of her behind her. Tuli won anything. the trials in the same shoes Stephanie Bruce wore, though. I know that. I'm not, but yes, but this is a 225 race. The thing about the U.S. Olympic Women's Trials that's different is, yes, someone wanted that wasn't in the Super Bowl. That doesn't invalidate the importance of the shoes because only one of the top 10 seeds in the women's race was wearing the shoes. So, and she made the team. So, in a surprise. Jordan Hesse didn't make the team. What? Jordan Hesse was one of the top 10 seeds. She didn't make the team. Only one of them is healthy. Come on. If you run 240, it's not going to matter what shoes you're going to wear. But... Um, and, and that was one of the things in the stat that I talked about how the men's world record in the marathon. Some people say, oh, yeah, it's in all these races, the world records have come down about 1%. And the shoes, in my opinion, are worth more than that. Some, some studies say up to 3%. People are like, why the world records come down only 1%? That's why I'm saying, I'm saying these performances are inferior to the world records that were run in the regular shoes because, you know, the third place you're here is not the third best half marathon in history. Yeah, yeah. He's just got better shoes. So he, he might be two, 2% worse, you know, be 2% improvement, something like that. All right. Let's, we made that point. Yeah. That's, I think that's, that's a fair, fair assessment. Let's go to the Americans. Then let's get out because there were other things to talk about this weekend, but Emily Sisson, 67, 26. She misses Molly Huddle's 
half marathon American record by one second. So, you know, pretty bittersweet for her, I think. I think that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty good. I mean, the conditions were perf- pretty much perfect for running. It was a little windy. It was like maybe 10 miles per hour, but clearly that didn't affect times too much. I don't know. I think that's pretty much what I expected. Like, I kind of thought she would break it, but she missed it by one second. I mean, that's I think it's still a pretty great run for her. And her first effort, her first race since the trials, which went very badly for her. So it's good to see Sissom rebound. That's not correct, John. She did the New York City virtual marathon, right? Robert ripped her apart for not putting in an honest effort. I disagree. John called this a great performance. To me, this was not a great performance. To me, it was a disappointing performance. I give her credit for going to Japan. I mean, for going to to Spain, but I don't know. Like the American record, not in super, not in super shoes, is sixty-seven twenty-five. Her coach thought she could run sixty-seven flat. He thought that Molly Huddle could run sixty-six forty in a prime. I thought she should have gotten the American record, and she didn't get it. So it's a good performance, but I was expecting the American record, and just didn't quite get it. Well, also, I think we're going to have an interesting dilemma for a lot of these companies unless there's independent testing done on these shoes which i think world athletics should put a tax on the companies and raise some money to do that because new balance doesn't sponsor a ton of roadrunners right now their shoe may be the best ever but like until you have the people winning these races people they see the person in the, in the singlet and think it's best like the adidas boost shoes were actually probably better than what was out there before people may not have realized it but like Adidas and Nike are pretty big companies and they sponsor the most number of athletes, but New Balance doesn't sponsor as many. So until you see a New Balance athlete winning a world major, breaking a world record, which they don't sponsor anyone of that caliber, are you just going to wonder, like, are these shoes as good? So I think maybe the companies, maybe it's a New Balance's incentive to go like encourage independent testing to be done on these shoes to show that their shoe is just as good as the Adidas shoe. We've the Nike got shoe. to have Jeff Burns, the shoe expert on the podcast. He wants to run the test. We're going to crowdfund the money. We need to do it. As I said, then we then we blackmail the shoe company and say, hey, we're going to release this, make you look bad unless you pay us $50,000. Is that illegal to talk about blackmailing just on a podcast, John? Please, legal experts call one 844 like option seven. Yeah, I feel like that, that could, you know, if there's some sort of future indictment, this could come back to haunt Robert, but that's not really my my issue at the pro- at the moment. It is interesting, though. You talked about this independent testing. I don't know if you guys saw it about a month ago. There's a story uh, in, outside mag- in Outside that uh, Alex Hutchinson wrote about Melinda Elmore, the Canadian record holder in the marathon. She's She was unsponsored. She was looking for a shoe sponsor. And she tested, ended up like testing Saucony alongside Nike and uh, maybe one other brand or something like that. I don't know. And the, their test showed for her specifically, she was the only person they ran the tests on, that the Saucony, they were essentially dead even, the Vaporflies and Saucony's Endorphin Pro. or I think Saucony was slightly ahead, but it was within the margin of error. So it's she did this. like in t- She's like, I, if I'm going to sign with Saucony, I want to make sure I'm not at a competitive disadvantage. Yes, but... Well, we don't know about the shoes. It's, it's, it's individualized. So she, right. another group that may have been worse. And what I said to people was, I didn't like this study because we only heard about it when it was better or the same as Nike. Mm, yeah. Hear about it if someone does it and it's worse. Someone's like, you're accusing them of, 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 of you know, hiding. I'm like, no, I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm just saying, like, if it had been the opposite way, I don't think she'd be publicizing this. So you're only going to see the positive results. Um, speaking so. Speaking of marathoners, we have Jordan Hesay. We brought her up earlier. She was also in Valencia. And before the marathon, I kind of set 227. I thought anything faster than 227 would be good. 
She did not come close to that. She ran 233. She said afterwards on Instagram, although 233 is far from my best, it is a stepping stone forward to have had a healthy and uninterrupted buildup during a rough year. And like many in all aspects of life, I join in saying I am ready for a fresh start in 2021. So I do kind of think that is really the only positive you can draw from this race is that she was healthy and you know made it through a full marathon and seems to have made it healthy through this marathon distance as well. She made it through the buildup and the race. But other than that, I mean, obviously 233 when you're a 220 runner, it's hard to be excited about that. Yeah, it's 30 seconds a mile off of your PB. After last week's podcast, we kind of all agreed. I re-listened to it. It's about 227. I, was, I got a little bit more optimistic as we got closer to the race. I'm like, you know what? Like, she ran 74 minutes in that head prep race. She said she wasn't tired. She should be able to do that in her sleep. I was thinking she could run under 227. But no, maybe she's not good at cold running. Some people are, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say, speculating she's a little bit thin, doesn't do well in the cold. So I really, it's just, that's a long way off of where she needs to be. Yeah. And the crazy thing, it's nearly 20 minutes off the world record. Oh my God. I mean, she's like, she's 13 seconds off. She'd run 13 seconds slower. She'd be 20 minutes off the world record. That's how fast that 214.04 yeah. is. I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving up on Jordan to say she's 29. She's still got theoretically several good years ahead of her. And I also, I kind of view it as I view some of the other runners who ran over the summer really weren't that great or who just didn't run over the summer due to COVID. I kind of view this as kind of a write-off year. I mean, obviously after the trials, like that's devastating not to make the team, but the rest of 2020, like I'm going to judge if she comes out 2021 and she's healthy and she has, she bombs another marathon, which would be, you know, her, her third in a row because she DNF Chicago and then she, you know, was two in the two thirties at the trials and Valencia if that happens again, then I'm going to start be seriously worried. But until then, I still believe in the talent of Jordan Nassay. I went and tried to fact check Robert saying Jordan Nassay may not be a cold weather runner. I'm like, well, she ran 220 in Chicago. Could have been, must have been pretty cold that day. Guess what the high was in Chicago the day Jordan Nassay ran 220? 70. 77 degrees. Can that be right? This claims at race time, 8 a.m., it was 57 degrees, 65 by 10 a.m., with a high of 77 on October 8th, 2017. That's very hot for Chicago. Well, but she's not running when it's 77. She's running when it's 57 to 65, which is pretty nice. Well, so October 8th, I mean, it, it's it's a little warm, but it's still pretty warm usually in the U.S. on October 8th. Okay, maybe we should... Can we do, we're quickly on the Americans. Okay, 57 minutes is now a good half marathon. Maybe what, 204 is like a decent marathon. 57 minutes is not a good half marathon. It is the fastest half marathon ever. Uh, fourth place, get your fourth place. Yeah, only gets you fourth, fourth in Valencia, place. yeah. I mean, fine. If it just turn, turn what you term is good. Okay, 58 would have gotten you maybe top 10. <laughs> Like, okay, we could look at some of these stats in the week that was. Like, the Jap- Japan had, what's the number here? We had Fukuoka this weekend. The stat is five Japanese men broke 210. That means 32 Japanese men this year broke 210 in the marathon. No, no, no. Five broke 208. Oh, sorry. No, you're right. And um, only 21 Americans have ever done it. 32 Japanese have done it this year. I actually found a new, a new stat from Brett Warner. I didn't have this in the week that was. 
Guess how many Japanese men have broken jujitsu and have a, we have 21 Americans. Well, 32 have done it this year. So I'm going to guess 57. Well, then you have a guess? 102. 119. Oh, my God. Pretty 209 PR would put you 219. Well, I think what Walter's saying is we need to readjust what a good time is. I just think the Japanese are a little bit better at the marathon than, than, than Americans are running pretty good marathons. But No, but uh, for this marathon project, I mean, there better be a slew of sub-210s because 210, we need to rechange the expectations. Well, I think a 210 is, is at least a 212 from back, back in the day, the new shoes, at least two minutes. I mean, 210 would have gotten you, like, I'm not even sure what place in Valencia. It just not very good. I'll say that. 30 much. people broke 210. So 210 would have gotten you 31st in Valencia. 30th place. So come on. The Marathon Project's going to be perfect. My thinking now is they need to reset the expectations, have 207, 208, because that's barely a good time these days. I think we could see a slew of 210s. Think back about the Olympic Marathon trials. Everyone said we haven't not had a fast marathon since everybody's in the super shoes. The trials men's race was way faster than people thought in that difficult course. So these guys would, would take two or three minutes off their times. There have been a slew of guys, 207, 208, I think. Right? I don't know about 207, but I do think that's a good point, Weldon. Yeah, if you look, there were – there were 12 guys at 212.39 or faster and what everyone thought was a very tough course. So I, I you know, just race just for time. I think you could see, I hopefully, multiple 208s, 209s. Okay. Well, I think Wallet's been hitting at this on several podcasts recently. We need to readjust what's a good time. To me, nothing – yes, in terms of the absolute time, what's better. But to me, it's pretty simple. And I've thought about this across a number of events. And I was um, – in the sense of to be competitive on the world stage, but it's been this way since Bob Kennedy was running. You pretty much need to be in American record shape to have a chance at a medal. You've got to be, you know, if you're not running, you know, if you, if you can't run like a 205 marathon or 5940 and a half or a 1420 in the 5K or what, you know, sub 30 in, in, in the 10K, you're not going to sniff a medal. So, one thing I know I bashed Pierre and Rob, you know, a little bit earlier, and gave him a hard time. I was thinking after Delhi, which was last week, you know, I think like six or seven people ran an American record. I was like, how in the hell does Rupp have two medals? It's kind of amazing that like these these no name races, not no name races, but just seven random Africans can show up and beat it. But the more I think about it, that's not really fair. Probably everybody in the world that's capable, almost everybody in the world that's capable of running a fifty nine forty three. Well, I guess the marathoners, but a huge percentage of them have run it in the last two weeks. And there was like another seven in, in, in Valencia. So there's probably like 15 guys that can do that pretty easily. So, but you obviously eliminate a lot of them because it's three per country. So it's kind of, you know, getting, but still getting a 10,000 medal is impressive for Rob. For sure. Not, not as impressed by that. Marathon. I'm looking at the marathon project right now. There's 13 guys, 13 Americans in the field who have run under two. 12 with their PBs, only one with a sub 210, Scott Fobble. And there's also an Eritrean, a Mexican, a Canadian under sub 210. This is why this race is going to be great, Weldon, because you're raising a good point. This is going to be the first race where everyone's wearing the super shoes that's on a fast course. And normally the Americans are not running. A lot of the Americans, where are they running? The, the high profile races with the money at Boston, which depending on the weather can be slow or fast, and New York, which is never fast. So this is a rare opportunity for Americans in super shoes to go fast. 
I think we got to have a ton of substitutes in that one. Well, p- point of order here. It's not the first opportunity. If you remember 2019 Chicago, which was one of the final races before the trials, there are a ton of American Americans in the 210, 211 range there, and they were all in the super shoes. So we have seen it before. But anyway, we can get, I think, Marathon Project that will preview that next week. That's the big event at the end of next week. Can we? We might have 15 guys sub 210. I mean, I think that's what the expectations need to be shifted well, to. Well, we'll see. Before I was thinking one or two would be good. I mean, maybe not. Maybe we'll have 10. And while you're at it, guys, you can still sign up. The marathonproject.com. Virtual, it's the virtual race of the year. You can do a 5K, 10K, half marathon, and marathon. You can do one. You can do all four for the same price. Get a half zip. You can back your favorite pro. Link in the show notes or go to themarathonproject.com. Best virtual race out there. Oh, really, the best Christmas gift? Get the Let's Run.com shirt. Go to shop.letsrun.com. Get your shirt today. All right. Now, we talked about the Marathon Project. Let's talk about someone who is not running, notably absent from the Marathon Project. That's Alephine Tuliamak, the Olympic Trials Marathon champion, announced this week that she is expecting her first child, a daughter that they all named Zoe. And the baby is due January 22nd. The Olympic Marathon is August 7th. That is 197 days or six months and 16 days apart. What do you guys think about this, Robert? I, I hope you don't have some hilariously politically incorrect take on this or, you know, how do you feel? As someone who's the father of one and would like to be the father of more than one, I'm very impressed by her fertility. I, I've done the math. Like she, they basically postponed the Olympics and she got pregnant immediately. Average person waits like six to seven months. So now admittedly, she's a lot, she and her husband are a lot younger than me and my wife, but kudos to them on the fertility. I guess I shouldn't be surprised when you're one of 32 children, I guess fertility kind of runs in the family. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think it's really good planning. I think it's smart by her. Um, you know, she wants to have a family. I think it's one thing. Look, when you're young, no one talks to you about this. If you're a young person in your high school and you're in college, you're talking about this, whether you're male or female, like at some point, many of you are going to want to have children and it takes up a lot of resources. It takes up a lot of time. And if you're young, if you're a woman, you only have a certain amount of time when you really have reproductive or windows and it's there's trade-offs to anything life is about a scarcity of time and resources and you've got to pick and choose people act like you can have it all you cannot have it all in this world you know most of these high power business executives do not have great family lives they're gone a lot because they work all the damn time so kudos to her for taking this opportunity and doing it what does it mean for her olympic chances to be honest i think she could run a decent race at the olympics but does it really matter? Were we really expecting Alephine Tulemak to do much in this Olympic trials? I'm not saying, you know, to me, making the Olympics was the accomplishment. Maybe she can go in and be top 10, you know, but I was never expecting her to contend for a medal to begin with. Yeah, I mean, having a family, I'm a recent father, is tremendous. This is going to be great for her. It's very exciting. As an athlete, I wasn't expecting great things for her in the Olympics anyway, but I think this is huge for her career. I mean, she's going to get a ton of publicity, assuming she can make it to the starting line. It won't really matter what she does. It's coming back from a baby, NBC, the Today Show, all of that stuff will love it. It's a very cool story if she can give birth in January and compete in the Olympics in July or I guess August, first week of August. So I think it's going to be huge for her, her brand and her awareness which, you know, she's a professional athlete. Those things are important these days. So 
it's a, just a win-win, I think, every way around. Um, I don't know. And I, I guess if she's not ready, ready, there's a chance Des Linden could run in the Olympics. But uh, I assume, you know, Alephine, she made the team. It's her spot to run. So even if she's not at 100%, I think most people will be fine with her still Linden, running the Olympics. Of anyone can't complain because in 2012, she knew she was hurt, probably was going to drop out and still ran it to say she was an Olympian. I don't begrudge her that. And I certainly don't begrudge Alphine showing up because she said one of the big things is she wanted her daughter there for the finish for her in the finish line at Sapporo, which I think is great. I think it's interesting, Robert, you mentioned this. I mean, look at the, some of the top women of this generation in US running. And it's really, it's a tough decision because we've seen so many athletes run well deep into their 30s, which are also sort of your, your prime. You know, that's going towards like when you would have to start thinking about having a child these days. And if you look at a lot of the American women right now who've been the defining women of this generation, Jay Simpson, Emma Coburn. So I think Emma Coburn just turned 30. But then, you know, Des Linden, Shalene Flanagan, Molly Huddle, none of them have had children. And that, that's totally up to them. That's their choice. But I think it's just, it's a tough decision. If you want to have kids, you are taking off some time from your competitive career. It's, it's certainly a, a difficult choice that they, they have to face. And I think, you know, I'm happy for Alphine. And it's interesting. There was, after this news came out, people were sort of saying, I looked at NBC Sports and I think Runners World had some articles comparing other women who have come back and run really well after pregnancy. Now, obviously, it's not always the case. Sally Kipiego, it took her about two years or more to really get back to, to great shape. But Cara Goucher, she had a son in September 2010, and then six months, 24 days later, so almost exactly the same period of time as Tulumuk's facing. She ran 224 for fifth at Boston. Paula Radcliffe had her daughter January 2007. That fall, she ran 223 to win New York. That's 291 days, so that's nine months later. And then Liz McColgan, this may be the ultimate uh, pregnancy running achievement. She had her daughter, Ailish McColgan, who's you know a terrific runner in her own right, November 25th, 1990. 119 days later, so three months, 27 days later, she got the bronze at World Cross Country. And then she later won the World 10,000 meters uh, 278 days later, so that's nine months later. So that, to me, is the most amazing one, but it can be done. You can come back and run well, but yeah, Tuli Muck, I think, to begin with, probably wasn't going to be favored to get a medal. That's crazy, the 119 days. I mean, any of them's crazy. Just having witnessed childbirth firsthand once, oh, man. And then even, like, I don't know when my wife, she's not a big runner. She's, like, a Peloton rider, but she runs some. The first time she said she went running, she's like, whoa, you know. And that was probably, like, 100 days out or something like that. I mean, it's just crazy that someone can be competing at that level. Um, and you mentioned, John, it, was kind of, it also was interesting – how few of the top current generation of American marathoners have had kids. And as Robert said, it's, it's just a trade-off and it's a sacrifice. Um, and you mentioned Goucher. And the crazy thing is, if you read the book with Matt Hart, When It All Costs, we had a podcast with him. You can find it in the archives. Great read. Great recommended podcast. Now, the craziest thing I thought almost from that book that I didn't know was that Nike allegedly reduced her contract while she was pregnant. Now, what are we talking about right now? Like, what an amazing story Alephine Tulemic is. How much press she's going to get. Like, her profile, I think, goes 5X because of being pregnant. Um, yet, Nike reduced Kara Goucher's contract. It's just, like, disgusting. So, you think also a brand like that, that 
pays in theory so much lip service to like social justice and being progressive like what i don't know i, I don't want i guess i should look at their intentions but even if you didn't give a shit and it was just all for marketing like the marketing opportunity is huge yet nike acts pretends to be sincere about this stuff now maybe they've changed because you know of Alicia montano and felix and all that stuff but crazy Oh, you make a good point. I mean, my wife was very upset by reading about those Nike allegations. She made an interesting point observation to me. She thought that Nike hires a few iconic athletes and spreads their brand message with them, like Serena Williams at Women's Empowerment. But they cover really, it's just sort of a show and it, it hides a lot of stuff that people don't know about. All right, let's move on. There was more racing action to discuss. This is essentially so we've got the track meet. Presented by Sound Running in California last weekend. This was essentially Peyton Jordan in December. Just people going for Olympic standards. And the most successful was the women's 10K. Eight women got the standard there, including six Americans. I guess we'll just... I kind of want to just start with the 5Ks because those are on Friday. We'll move to the 10Ks. Men's 5K, Luis Grijalva of NAU outkicks Oregon's Cooper and and Drew Hunter, which I thought was interesting. Drew Hunter, you know, if he was in college, if he had gone to college, he would have gone to Oregon and he would be a fifth year senior right now or he'd be a first year pro. And that was really interesting. Then in the B heat, Matthew Sensowitz, the Olympic 1500 meter champion, barely outkicked Cole Hawker, the footlocker champion from Oregon. He's a sophomore now, 1332. I thought that was really, Cole, Cole Hawker really impressed me in that race because he took uh, the lion's share of the leading the last couple laps and Centro just kind of, slowly worked his way up and then at the, at the very end you kind of could kind of tell okay he's gonna outkick him but he sat on him for as long as possible before winning obviously centro this is kind of his base phase but i thought that was interesting were you guys as impressed as i was did grialva really impress you guys like any thoughts on those five k's i mean big picture i knew grialva was in good great shape beforehand he, he lived up to it but 13 16 like on the world stage isn't that amazing to me so I mean, I, I'm excited to build, see him build his brand, hopefully win a couple NCAA titles, um, you know, and, and go pro. Um, I, for some reason, people on the message board don't like – or just, there's a small minority of people. You know, Tinman, uh, Drew Hunter's coach, likes to claim he's the best, just like John Kellogg used to claim he was the best. And then you're going to have a lot of people saying you're not the best. People love to see Drew Hunter make fun of him. I mean, um, to me, Drew Hunter has been – his fitness has been improving rapidly. Over the last few months, he was, in, you know, he got smoked like a couple months ago in a race. So I don't know. If somebody's made the world championship team running 13 17 is amazing, but that's actually a PB. So these guys, I think, can be in sub 13 10 shape come, you know, trials time, which would be good. Cooper Tier, though, you know, also very impressive at 13 17. But I, I think, honestly, like big picture wise, what are we going to be talking about next summer? Central is running 13 32 was a good sign for me. I mean, it's like kind of like Jordan to say, I'm like, look, you should be able to run within 10 seconds of your PB. Sort of if you're healthy and training, like that shouldn't be that hard. Well, his PB is 13 flat. Well, I know. So it's, he's basically running almost exactly 10 seconds of his PB. A mile, did, you're saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, he just did the bare minimum. I mean, I, I thought that like he timed that perfectly. Like, I don't know. I, I was pleased to see him healthy, running well because I think he can still be a factor on the world stage. Well, I agree. I think that's the thing about Centro is pretty much every year since he won the Olympics, he has missed a fairly significant amount of tra- training. And if he can get that run-up 
to the Olympics, just staying healthy the whole time. Yeah. I think he's still going to be a threat to medal. Uh, and even remember 2012, you know, when he was fourth, I think he got this serious injury in the spring and still made it there. So, you know, I don't know. I, I yeah, I'm going to be very interested if he can stay healthy. I still think there are big things on the horizon for him. And then I'm also curious NCAA cross country is Grialva now the favorite. We had Wesley Kip of Iowa state who was undefeated this fall. He ran 27, 37 and 10 K at this meet. Does Grialva move above Kip or do you still think Kip is the guy to beat? I would say they're co-favorites. I mean, those are both really studs. And who's probably the better cross-country runner? We'll find out. Should be exciting. Women's five thousand. Yeah, we're not giving Grialva enough credit. Like, uh, I don't know why we aren't, aren't just raving about this guy. I mean, he's never done anything, right? Like, what's his claim to fame? Well, he ran. He's been a part of the NAU machine. He ran thirteen twenty nine indoors this year and seven forty three. So. He's one of the guys who you wish we had the indoor and outdoor championships because if he's winning or finishing second, we're suddenly thinking of him on the next level, and then it's not that crazy to see him run 13-16. Yeah, I mean, the year's been paused in terms for accolades, but he won the pre-national meet at Oklahoma State. So he's done stuff, but he hasn't gotten the credit, I guess. And it's sort of, I don't know, if you've been injured a year and you miss, miss a couple of races and you're still training and you have these huge breaks where it looks bigger than it was, but... <sighs> I mean, this kid is good. I didn't realize he was really good in high school, 402 a mile in high school. And then I guess the question is, does he represent Guatemala or does he represent the U.S.? He's eligible for No, he is not. He is a, I asked his coach this, Mike Smith. He's Guatemalan, but he came over here. I think he's uh, – DACA is – I don't know the exact specifics of the situation, but he is not eligible to represent the United States. He doesn't have U.S. citizenship, so – I don't know what his plans are going to be moving forward. I mean, he'd like to get it at some point, but it might not be that easy. It might be easier now that Biden's coming in as the president, but right now he's not eligible to represent the United States. And he didn't hit the standards, so uh, Guatemala and the Olympics, he would need to run faster if he wants to go that route. Yeah, well, made a good point. Big picture, he's having a monster year. For sure. Women's 5,000. I mean, Shelby Hulane at least Cranny ran it. I'm not going to be raving about a 14-20 runners running 50. Or 1420 and Cranny running 1504 wasn't a surprise to me. The big picture there, oh, shout out to I guess your former teammate, John Dana Giordano. Was she on the team with you? Dartmouth, I mean, she didn't get the Olympic standard, but she ran 1518, huge PR for him. So, that's for him, it's a it's Dana's a girl, okay. But the big picture story for me on on these races was Shelby Hulin's choice of shoes. She was wearing the new Nike spikes. She set the American record not wearing the Nike spikes. Someone's obviously gotten to her at Nike and said, hey, we want you to wear the new spikes. Weldon's article on the super shoes and the distance races on the roads, he's got a, another shoe exec saying, I think we're going to see it soon. Massive world records across the board. And that's the thing. We're talking about it now, like, has the world record lost all significance? If we see the world record go down in every event, it's going to be, yes, it's going to have ruined the sport in some ways. It's just going to be like a total readjustment. It's going to be like the swimsuit. When you see it in the 100, in the 200, in the 400, in the 5K, 10K, then it's going to be obvious. It's taking us a while to realize what's happening here. But, yes, if the new track shoes are even half as significant as the distance shoes on the road, it's going to be absolutely crazy. 
Well, I think the thing about Houlihan is I so respected that she was like, I'm going to wear the old spikes. I'm that, you know, I want there to be no doubt. This is my ability. And she broke the American record in those. But then you got to think if you're her and you see Latessa and Beck Gide run 1406 and break the world record, a woman who hasn't run a 5K, she lost like the 12 5Ks in a row and then goes out and breaks the world record. And you see Hassan running 351 and the three other women running 354 in the super spikes, actually there's two other women running 354 last year. You have to think like, I just, you know, you only get, this is going to be how, you know, maybe she gets two more cracks at the Olympics in her prime. You want to give yourself every advantage possible. You don't want to go and live with it for the rest of life saying I got fourth, but maybe I could have gotten third with the shoes. I think. Oh, you're it, a fool you know, if you don't wear them. It's perfect. Cause yeah. she proved she could run the American record without them. And now yeah. she's racing in them. But yeah. the significant results is, as you said earlier, I think John came in the 10,000. Um, you know, um, in the men's 10,000, we had a couple Olympic qualifiers, Eric Jenkins, where has he been? Wins the race 27, 22, Patrick turned second in Australian record 27, 22 as well. Edward Cheswick, John talked him up disappointing third 27, 23. He hit the standard. He did his job. But I'm supposed to be excited that Cheswick. I'm, I'm, I'm not super. I'm not blown away by it, but you know, he did what he needed to do. Making the Kenyan here's the problem though. If he's going to try to make the Kenyan team next year, which it sounds like is still the plan, I mean, we just talked about those guys, Kip Rudo, Candier, or uh, Camoro. I mean, good luck making that team ahead of those guys in the trials at altitude. Well, he's not. He needs to make the team in the five thousand. He's better five thousand more, anyways. But how about this guy, Sam Atkin, twenty-seven, twenty-six, the day after he ran thirteen, eighteen. This is the former NAA runner. I guess he did was pretty good in college. This is the guy that beat Cheswick, right, one time in a 3,000 or something? 2016, he beat him at Haywood Field. But yeah, this is – so Sam Atkin, this is like the most ridiculous story of the weekend. He goes out there to get the trials, the, get the standard in the 5K. He runs 13-18, misses it, but it was still a PR by five seconds. He's contracted to pace the first 5K of the 10K the following night. And – before the race, he, they asked Jesse Williams because he's coached by Scott Simmons. They came up and asked him, like, hey, he'll still pace the first 5K, but after that, can he finish the race? And they're like, fine, yeah, as long as you meet your requirements. So he did that. He paced the first 5K, and then immediately I'm watching the race. I didn't know this at the time. He just sort of drifts back but doesn't drop off. I'm like, why isn't this guy, like, stopping? He hung in the race, hung around, and ran 27-26, which is an enormous 10K PR, just 24 hours after running a big PR in the 5K as well, and he gets the standard. He's now the fourth fastest Brit of all time. It's pretty ridiculous. But more standard. It's faster than Brendan Foster and Dave Bedford now. Over a two-minute PB in the 5K. 10K. I mean, I mean 10K. The day after doing that 5K. Uh, man, what a run. But let's talk about the- – we, we need to have a let's run.com where dreams become reality segment of the week is he our contender i think i'm gonna start doing this we'll talk to him every week or something is he the winner this week or also in the men's ten thousand meters another contender could be robert brandt now of georgetown former of ucla 27 39 i mean he's behind aiken but for a college kid from america that's pretty fast yeah, he's well. He's a sixth year. He actually was at Cal and then UCLA, now Georgetown. But I, I think it has to be Atkin, though. Obviously, what Brandt did was really impressive. Uh, he's he'd run thirteen thirty six, so obviously, like he was was what he was good. But this is clearly you know better than anything he's ever done. So that was pretty impressive. 
if we're going to do Warrior Dreams become reality, how about the women's 10,000? Winner of it. Sponsored by Under Armour, Baltimore Proud. Rachel Snyder, former Georgetown 1,500-meter runner. Woman never even scored at NCAAs. She thinks she was ninth a couple times. She moves up to the 10,000, 3109.79. She beats two-time NCAA champion Winnie Kalati, who also has gone pro and has joined the Under Armour team in Flagstaff, 3110. Alicia Monson also getting the time. Sharon Lachetti, Natasha Rogers, Kaylin Taylor, Danny Shanahan, and Steph, and Steph Bruce all get the um, – was it nine people, John, or eight? Eight women got the standard. So all eight of them, congratulations, have the, the Olympic standard. So to me, big picture, this is great. Remember, was it four years ago, John, or eight, when, when Natasha Rogers, she finished top three of the trials, didn't get to go. Basically, the trials was a waste of time because only a few people had the standard. Wasn't it fun? I've, I've always thought the World Athletics should just let a U.S. send – if we have three of the standard, just let us send the top three so the trials are actually a race worth watching. But no one has listened to me on that. Folks, we can have exceptions. You can grant a waiver to the United States of America. We're sending three. Help make this meet, which is the one meet that everyone pays attention to every four years, mean something. But this year, the women's trials is going to be great because we have a ton of women with the standard. On the men's side, how many people are going to have the standard? I can think of only three or four. Among, Jenkins, Career. Kip Churcher, anybody else? Maybe Mead's going to get it? I mean, 27-28 is just ridiculously hard. for. That's such an aggressive standard. And that's because the – and I think, actually, I need to double-check this. I think that's one of the events where they don't go off world rankings because they don't run the 10K enough. I think that's just like a – maybe they would do it to fill the field, but I uh, that's just a really tough standard to hit. And can we give a shout-out, Dreams Become Reality on the women's side? Danny Shanahan of NAZ Elite. She ran it. She's an alum of Loyola Marymount. She goes from 32-22 to 31-22. So chops a minute off her PR to get the Olympic standard. You know, Ben Rosario, I think in their newsletter, he was sort of talking about, he's like, hey, yeah, she's on, you know, she's taking a big leap. This showed it uh, on on Saturday. And I think, you know, you look, all the other women got the standard. It's still going to be tough to make that team, but that's a huge leap forward. So congrats to her. Yeah, I saw that result, and I'm like, who? I mean, she beat Stephanie Bruce, who's also on the NAZ Elite team. And I'm just like, what? Like, because, I don't know, when they signed her, uh, I guess I, I got, well, I can share what I was thinking. I'm like, you know, it's just sort of like some spare these teams fill their rosters with is kind of when I see that well, name. I don't, it's just not a big name, you know? Like, and she was only 40, she's, 43rd at NCAA Cross Country. So she and Rachel Snyder are both two women who are never NCAA Cross Country All-Americans. And yet they have the Olympic 10K standard, which is very tough to get. So shout out, you know, to, to both of them and for being developed to a high level post-collegiately. Yeah. Also, it's interesting to note how many of those women are, are based in Flagstaff because you got Schneider um, and Kaladi will be soon. Sharon Lacady is going to be a future teammate of uh, Kaladi. She's based in Flagstaff. Kellen Taylor, Shanahan, and Bruce – they're all in Flagstaff too. So that was really like the Flagstaff 10K right there. Can I call myself the godfather of Flagstaff running? Is that Weldon or Robert? That's a, that's a little self-congratulatory Weldon. Well, what do you call... I did not invent Flagstaff. That's what it seems like you're claiming. Imagination. No, but I wanted... I want some... And I wasn't the first guy of my generation there. Like... Um, well, I think you've answered your Carlos question then. Pardo, who, who made the trials was there actually a, um, a guy named Tom Sable who 
like wasn't a trials runner, but like was on this message board was out there as well. Um, and guys like Dieter Bauman had been there, but like the let's run on coaching genius, John Kellogg said, everybody's doing it wrong. You need to do high, low training. You need to go to Flagstaff, Arizona. And I did it. And I, my dreams became reality. I went, for, I guess I'd already made a world half marathon team in my 10 B 10 KPB didn't reflect how good I could have been, but I went from 29, 49 to 28, 27 in one race and let's run started. And we just started saying, Hey, Flagstaff's the place to train. And now look at it. I mean, before everybody was in Boulder and all this other well, stuff. I just think that, so, yes, I, I'll give Walden credit. I mean, I don't think it was just him. If, somebody, if it wasn't him, it's was going to be somebody else. It's really the internet. The, the information now can go worldwide. Maybe before it was in some obscure book. Now people are like, Oh my God, what do all these people have in common? They trained it out too. You know, look at almost all of the top U.S. assistance runners now. At least spends part of the time at altitude, or at least in like an altitude. I wonder if Rob does Rob still have his altitude house? I assume he does. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, Flagstaff made our dreams become reality, and it started Let's Run, and then it took off. So it's just not like it was randomly on the internet. Without Flagstaff making my dreams become reality, people probably don't respect Let's Run as much. Flagstaff doesn't get as much publicity. Everything sort of feeds on itself. So I would, and I wouldn't have a job right now. So, well, I wouldn't be working for you guys. Hopefully, I'd have a job somewhere. But I give you, no, I'll give you credit. I'll give you some a credit. few things about this race. One earlier, y'all were talking about everything is the shoes. I'm thinking this race shows that not everything's the shoes. A ton of women are running fast, not in super shoes. And the last time I heard, um, Under Armour and Hoka don't have super spikes. So, you know. But this was, I, this was Peyton. They might, Robert. This was Peyton Jordan conditions. I mean, it was great, great weather and a lot of people going specifically for a time. I mean, that's, I think the problem, the reason why they all ran so fast is because you get maybe one kind of one 10K like this per year in the United States where everyone is going fast for the time and it's good weather and everything and they have good rabbiting. It doesn't shock me to see these times. I don't think we have to say, oh, it's the shoes. I think it's just, all the other factors came together and we're not going to see times like this again because we're not going to get another opportunity like this. Okay. But John, you were up watching this race while I was sleeping, getting ready for the Valencia races. Who, who rabbited? I mean, I see Emily Aparra, Giordano rabbited. I have a question. I mean, why didn't Shelby Hulhan rabbit this race? And also in the 5,000 the day before, like she's run 14, 23. Could she lead the whole thing? Instead, I saw these poor people like Emily Lapari leading some of the 5,000. Shelby, you're 40 seconds faster than everybody else. Can't you like lead the whole entire thing in the 5,000 and then show up the next day and just rabbit this 10,000 out and help some people out? Like, I don't know. Is she battling injury or something? I mean, I, I thought this was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe maybe these other runners wanted to do it because they're getting paid. But I just thought it was – she didn't rabbit it, right? Like I kind of No, but like – all right. First of all, I think this is a fairly ridiculous request. Like the American record holder, like – you don't normally pay the best runner in the country to rabbit your race. Like how many races did Galen Rupp ever rabbit? This isn't, this isn't just, this just isn't a fair expectation. But the other thing is, so it's interesting. There were two Bowman women. You would think, okay, Shelby actually has rabbited some races for her Bowman teammates over the summer. The problem was the Bowman women were actually two of the only women who ran really poorly in this race. Uh, Gwen Jorgensen, she was 17th. She ran 32, 12, and uh, her teammate, Vanessa Fraser, 
she was 15th and she ran 32.09 and neither of them were close to the Olympic standards. So maybe if Houlihan was in there to rabbit them, but maybe she, maybe they knew she wasn't quite in shape for it. I mean, also Emily Lapari did a great job. She took them through on pace for 6K or something. I mean, she she did really good and the times were really fast. I don't think we needed Shelby Houlihan rabbiting this race. Why is Houlihan supposed to rabbit this thing, Robert? I just, she's so much better than everybody else. I'm like, can't you throw a bone? That's the problem with me. I was too nice of a person. I, I would have been rabbiting, sacrificing my chances. This is ridiculous. Chapter guy should have come out to the trap meet. He's so much better than everyone in the world. He needs to be rabbiting this meet as well. The reason why Weldon did not make the 2000 Olympic team is he ran, he rabbited for me his identical genetic eagle for 26.2 miles of the 2000 Las Vegas marathon in February. Weldon ran the whole thing trying to help to get me to the trials. And I came up short because the damn course was mismeasured. That's my excuse. Um, but, John, you said Quinn Jorgensen ran terribly. I don't think 32 low is terrible for her. Now, for Vanessa Frazier, who's run 1448, 32.09 is not good. But for Gwen Jorgensen? Eh. Well, my argument would be, okay, Gwen Jorgensen, she ran 20 – She ran in 2018, right after she sort of committed she was going to be doing – Never mind. She ran 15 yeah, she ran 31.55 in Stanford in 2018, of March 2018. You would think with two and a half years as a full-time runner, she would improve instead of getting, you know, 17 seconds slower. Wait, 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 wait. Is this right? Gwen Jorgensen this year ran 15.10 indoors? Yeah. So I take that back. 32 minutes in, in so hot for that. Right. So she got back to her old form when she first got pregnant. Came out, oh, wow. I've forgotten about the COVID made me forget. You know, they talk about the memory. John, is this a sign that I've had COVID? Don't they say it messes with your memory? Maybe. I feel like everything's a symptom of COVID. Well, you know, all these people that anyone now is like, oh, I'm a COVID long hauler, even though they never tested positive for COVID. Like if you have something that you can't explain, just say oh, it's COVID. Any, anyone who, yeah, and, yeah, anyone who is sick in the last like eight months, they're like, oh, I, I don't know. I didn't get tested, but I think it was COVID and, you know. I mean, I don't want to be made light of it. There are actual lasting effects for some people, but I, I do agree a little bit with that, Robert. I did, well, I didn't even know Jorgensen was in this race. I guess I see, seen some message board thread saying, will she be dropped? But not a good performance. I'm kind of shocked Vanessa Fraser ran as well, poorly as well, too, because she's run sub-15. She ran 14.48 in February. It, like, I was thinking she would get the standard. Yeah, but who knows? It's it's a weird time of year, so maybe they were sort of in between cycles. Oops, never. You should never use the word cycle when you're discussing a runner anymore. In between training blocks. Um, well, it's interesting. Well, you point that out. Well, then, like that was what it was for Cranny and Houlihan. They, Jerry was basically like because they had an interview afterwards, and he was like. Hey, yeah, you guys are racing next week. Like, we're just going to knock out the standard, even though you're in the base phase, and that might be. Maybe that's what he told Fraser and Jorgensen. And, you know, running a 10K in the middle of a base phase is not easy. But to me, that's kind of a failure in planning. Like, these women need the standard. This no, is- not a failure in planning. They ran the regular season. They didn't know this race was going to happen when they were planning their season in June and July. He yes, they did. Jesse Williams has been telling me for months it was going to be right after the window opened, this t- opportunity would be here. Now, maybe this isn't a big deal. They get it in March or May or whatever. But I don't know. Well, I did say so many people got the standard. There aren't going to be as many U.S. races, but there still will be one big U.S. race next year where people go for it. Um, while we're talking about standards, we have not talked about the Japanese nationals. The top three people there all broke the national record. 
for Japan. You talk about how fast the standard is. You have to break the national record to get the Olympic standard of 27-28. Um, I think only actually the top two got the standard there. But all ran 27-28.92 or faster, led by Akira Aizawa, 27-18.75. And in the women's race, Hitomi Niya, the half marathon record, uh, national record holder, ran 30-20. Destroyed the national record. So shout out to them. I did look. All of these people were wearing the new Nike spikes. I started a thread um, on that. But just the depth of Japan is absurd. Here's another stat for you guys. Japanese high schoolers broke 14. Guess how many Japanese high schoolers are broken 14 this year? 10. 7. 22 guys. Oh, my God. So Japan is really good at maturing earlier on the men's side, running some fast times, and then also getting to the like 209 range. But it doesn't mean that they're better. They don't end up being better than us at the track. They actually end up being worse than us on the track and worse than us at the top level. Well, not the top of the marathon. That's pretty similar, I guess. Well, Robert, I want to talk the most ridiculous performance. Well, maybe not the most ridiculous because there were national records in the 10K um, for both men and women. Hitomi Niya, she ran 30-20, smashed the, the women's record of 30-48. There is a Japanese under-20 record, an 18-year-old called Yamato Yoshi. How fast do you think he ran the national record? Under 13.25. Yeah. That, that's re- for an 18-year-old? That's absurd. Isn't that what German, what's our record? Isn't it the same? Uh, German Fernandez ran 13.25, and that was in, so that was in 2009, and he would have turned, I guess he would have turned, 19 that fall so he was also 18 at the time so yeah but like german fernandez was a ridiculous talent he won ncaa as a true freshman like it's pretty it's just pretty crazy to me for a 13, 18 year old it was ridiculous when german did it it's ridiculous now yamato yoshi 13 25 wait german fernandez won ncaa's as a freshman 1500 wire to wire it was epic indoors outdoors right? what what happened to him I, I just forgot. I think he, I was thinking he never did anything in college. I thought he ran like a fast indoor mile time, and that was it, like a time trial type thing. I didn't realize he won an NCAA outdoor title, and then that was it, right? He didn't. He was the pillar of that three NCAA cross country. Actually, he was only on the team for two of them, I think, for the NCAA cross. No, I think he was there. No, he was there for two of them for NCAA cross. But I was going next. Please, next time someone goes wire to wire to win the NCAA fifteen hundred as a true freshman, I would like to see it. Yeah, so would I. We should have shut the shot down for a few days. We didn't appreciate that as much as we should. We were thinking, oh, so much more is going to come. He's going to dominate the world stage. But while we're talking NCAA people and going pro, did we mention Wayne Claudie went pro? Signed with yeah. Under Armour? We mentioned it last week and we mentioned it earlier today. No, we had it in last week's podcast? Yeah. Um, you know, I, as a former college coach and fan of, of, of track, I'm not a big fan of people going pro. For her – I'm a little bit more okay with it because, you know, she basically defected on her own. She doesn't come from, like, she has no financial backing, I assume. Um, It was interesting. People on the message board were like, would a 15 low girl really get any money? There's no money for a foreigner like that. John's got the scoop. Stephen Haas, her agent, said that he's never had someone with this much interest in her, you know. And I think it's because people realize – I think I was saying this the other day. For the long-distance runners, is it a little bit easier to get a contract? In the short, in the middle distances, if you're not one of the top ten people in the world, you're not really relevant, you know, in a big way. But if you're a marathoner, all you got to do is be like one of the top like forty people in the world, and then you can do, you know, top five in Boston, you can get a seventh, you can be the top American, 
Plus, her immigrant story is very powerful, particularly in this, you know, George Floyd era. Somebody who's really appreciative of coming to America, very excited to be here. It's, it's just a, a fantastic story. So I'm glad to see she got paid. But I was telling John, like, I would normally would I be happy about this? Absolutely not. If someone went pro in like July, right before the cross country season starts, I'm like, just run the cross country season, help your teammates out. Wait, if they can't go pro in July, when should you go pro, Robert? Now, like August. If you go pro right before the cross country season starts, like, why wouldn't you just run cross country then go pro? Or in this case, why didn't she go pro like four days later? She could have been a collegiate record holder. You can market yourself as a collegiate record holder. So I would have waited a few days, but congrats to her. A few days? Like, come on. I would, well, personally, imagine if you're her teammates in New Mexico. Now, the thing is, we don't know if we're actually going to have the cross-country season. But if, it, it, what if your team's getting pumped up for the season? I guess you got to do what's in your own interest. That's the thing now. Everyone in this world just does what's in their absolute own self-interest and don't think about the, the, the anyone else anymore. Oh, oh, first of all, a couple of things. Stephen Haas probably has never had an NCAA champion before they represented. Shelby Houlihan, he represented her coming out. Was she an NCAA yes. champion? De- De- Jessica Hall. Those were the two names uh, he mentioned to just, me. Don't tear my... You hate you guys me. hate when I bring facts into these uh, hot takes. What am I supposed to go? Okay, well, let me, let me just tear Robert apart. Forget about that part then. But, <laughs> damn it. I'm really flummoxed here. But she, Robert, it's not like she decided to go pro yesterday. It's probably been in the works for months, you know, behind the scenes. Like, she probably made the decision, prayed, told her team. I don't think she just yesterday said, I'm going pro. Oh, Under Armour, thank you. Um, this probably decided months ago. And no one knows what's going to happen with COVID for this year. So it's just such a different year. I'm, I'm not going to criticize anyone. Um, well, then my understanding in talking to Stephen Haas was she only really got serious about it once cross country got wiped out. Like she was hoping there would be a full cross country season. And then when that sort of became uncertain and most of the meets were canceled, that's when she really started exploring her options. And you said one of the reasons why her value was high is because there aren't, you know, there aren't that many people turning pro right now. Though Taylor Werner, the Arkansas star also did just turn pro. It looks like Puma is going to be starting a group in Chapel Hill. Apparently. Isn't Steven also the coach of this team as well? Yes. You know, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, I think there's interest in her, but uh, well, one, I think it's very good because in the in the past she will be American, so hopefully she gets her citizenship. But a, a foreign based U.S. runner, there just wasn't as much interest, you know. So I think times are changing. This is very good. No, I, this is just a weird year and stuff. But when anyone signs with an Under Armour or I don't know one of the lesser known teams, I don't know. I never know what to think of it. Well, there's so many teams that I think building up the dollar value for, for anybody because Reebok needs a team Puma now. I mean, but guys, we need to wrap this up. We haven't talked about two things. We talked about how the Diamond and World Athletics reverse course on these prototype shoes, but they also reverse course on their events. Just like over a year ago, they said, we've got to get rid of the triple jump, the 5,000. We've got to modernize the sport and make it more popular. And then all of a sudden now, oh, wait a minute, we're bringing back all those events. And they don't really explain why. They said, oh, like some people complained and we, we like to listen. They kind of didn't really explain it. My theory, John, and you seem to like this, is, yeah, they're going to have like eight Diamond League events or four Diamond League events in like the span of eight days this fall. They better bring back more events. Otherwise, everything's going to be so watered down. There's not going to be any premier events. So you think that's why they did it, John? I I think that there's actually an argument for that. Well, one of the other things is they've extended expanded the broadcast window back to two hours, and that gives them a little bit more time to work with. It was interesting, like going into 2020, the reason they said they reduced the 
broadcast window as this was the broadcasters, they really put pressure on the Diamond League to do it. Now, apparently, that's not as big a deal. So that's kind of interesting. But Were we lied to? I was told that they had to get it down to a 90-minute window, and I took Sepco at his world that it, it had, they, they were being pressured. The broadcasters wanted 90 minutes. I mean, and I was like, what other professional sporting event is a 90-minute broadcast window? This, I don't know, man. I feel like so often we're just trying to make change for change's sake. I'm not opposed to change. I don't want to be people that doesn't change. And they are going to stick with this new format and, and the jumps. For the long jump, only the sixth jump is going to determine the winner. We'll see how that goes. But it just seems weird to me when, when we have these changes and announces big deals and then less than a year, both the prototypes and the events and the TV window. Oh, never mind. We're not going to stick with it. I think the other thing, Robert, that's worth noting here is the remember it used to be a few years ago they cut back on some of these events and they only held certain events six uh four, there was like the disc the 5k it used to be held six times per year they cut back and they started only holding it four times per year and it looks like they have reversed course on that as well because there's now going to be six per year in the regular season plus the final as opposed to four per year in the regular season final which also feeds into your theory about more events to spread across the meets and again, I don't even, as a distance fan, I don't want to see six 5Ks. I'd rather see four. Have one at the beginning of the year, one or two in the middle, one at the end, you know, in the final. Anyways. Hey, I, I'm, I think it's great that they're having the 5K back. The two-hour window is better, so these are positive moves. I don't know. I think it's very easy to be the critic. I'm glad they reverted back. Two-hour window, sports need to be on for at least two hours. And that's a good thing. We need the 5K. This is a good thing. So these are positive steps. Let's just say yes. Let's stay that's positive. That's actually a great point, Well, because it's easy to complain. And the ability to realize you made a mistake and just move on is very rare. I actually heard this the other day, John. They were talking about the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. They drafted Josh Rosen, the number one pick. And then the GM also, he fired the coach that he hired and he got rid of the quarterback right away and said, wait a minute, neither one of these is right. So it's a bold move by the GM to say, wait, I made two huge mistakes. I'm getting a new coach and a new quarterback. But obviously, Kyler Murray, if you're an NFL fan, is, is a very good quarterback. I guess Josh Rosen really hasn't got much of a chance, maybe. But I think if you're any good, people would be playing him. So. Yeah. Um, one actually thing, this, I should have brought this up in the high school segment, but it's too ridiculous for me not to mention. Uh, over the weekend, Newbury Park High School, the boys team, the reigning NXN champions, which is where Nico Young went last year, they had a time, they had a race where all their guys ran on a track. And for the first time, I believe, in US history, this has to be true, their top five all broke 1450 on the track for a high school team. I mean, there are some, I'm sure a lot of D3 college teams would be pretty happy to have four guys under 1450. So, and this includes Lex Young and Leo Young, who are Nico's younger brothers. Lex Young ran 1427. He is a sophomore. Leo Young is also a sophomore. He ran 1449. So it's pretty crazy. They lost Nico Young, one of the best high school runners in U.S. history, I would say, and in cross country at least, and Jace Ashbrenner, who is an 844-3200 guy, went to Colorado, and yet they've still got five guys on the, five guys on their team who broke – 1450. It's pretty remarkable. Let's start walking. John with a slide to the D3. Had to slide the D3 runners out there who are the lifeblood of Let's Run. My apologies. All the baby national runners, my apologies to you guys. I got your back. (laughs) 
I hope they picked up on that. I hope they picked I, up I on got, that. I got that joke. Yeah. Also, this weekend we had the great matchup in Lubbock that where we, I don't know what, the National High School Invite it was called. It was a one-year event. And Sidney Thorvalson trashed Bryn Brown. I mean, with a huge win, convincing win. So, I don't know. I'm glad that meet got put on, but it's worth a quick mention as well. There weren't a lot of top head-to-head matchups this year. You know, there's people kind of were going regionally or where they could, so that was the best matchup of the season. Also, Sophia Dudak, last year's footlocker champ, she ran a good time at the what's it called? Junior it's Olympics. Like AAU. I didn't even know the AAU still had cross country championships. The AAU. Um, yeah, that's it. And I don't know, just a lot of people, I guess AAU exists every year, but this year it took on more importance. Um, and Nick Cordes, who was on last week's podcast, he, he's a cross country coach at Lubbock Christian. He put on a lot of these meets. So congrats to Nick. For just I don't know, just putting on these meets during COVID, like Nick could have easily just sat on his ass and not done it, but he put it on. So I don't know. I, I'm glad he got this matchup. And one thing I didn't mention last week, I meant to ask him, but he had to go to a meeting. Was all of his emails end with you know like mine say like thanks or sincerely? His so all say dream big, and I love that dream big. So keep dreaming big, people. Yeah, Thorvaldson's speed rating and totally speed race was a 168, which is the same she actually ran at the Terra Hope meet. One thing that someone did point out was, you know, while she won by a wide margin, how many seconds was it? 27 seconds. Probably had an advantage because Lubbock's at 3,000 feet of altitude. She lives at like 7,500 feet of altitude in Wyoming or something like that. So Bryn Brown doesn't live at altitude. So it wasn't really necessarily a fair fight to have this race. She lives at 7,500 feet? Ooh. If I'm a college coach, I'm very excited right now. Well, then you can't. Look, I'm offering this opportunity to you. You may not be the godfather of Flagstaff running, but if you move out to Wyoming and start preaching the gospel of Wyoming altitude training, I will call you the godfather of Wyoming running. Yeah, like I think Yellowstone's pretty high altitude. I I love that part of the country. And I was like, I remember seeing there, and maybe it's a little lower, and there's these mountains up the top. I remember staring at them. I'm like, I wonder what the altitude is up there. But I'm like, it's harder to get to lower altitude, I think. But that would be great. And another piece of sad news this past week and you're going to hear more about this rafer johnson the 1960 olympic decathlon champion passed away i think at the age of 82 and if you guys are not familiar with his life we're going to link to an la times obituary this guy represents just greatness in life and everything i mean his life story is amazing on its own okay world olympic decathlon champion i mean that's enough you're the world's greatest athlete oh he, he he played basketball with John Wooden at UCLA. I mean, that's pretty super cool on its own. I think that would be enough for most people. And then you just go through his personal life. Born in a house with no electricity. Dallas, Texas. By the way, he lived it at one point. Moved to LA. Apparently he wasn't a big fan of Texas. That's the only knock on Rafer's life. Um, became student council president. UCLA class president. I mean, this is in you know the 60s. I mean, UCLA also has a fascinating, interesting history with famous black athletes, pioneers. Uh, Jackie Robinson went to UCLA, and that was one reason Rafer wanted to go there. Rafer went there. Arthur Ashe, Meb Kofleski, sort of these titans of sport 
who were pioneers in many ways. Um, and then, oh, he became friends with RFK. RFK is assassinated. He tackles Sirhan. Sirhan has the gun in his pocket the next day. I mean, that's just crazy. Helps become huge with Special Olympics. I mean, just the biography of his life is amazing. But then you started reading these tributes in Let's Run. Some people were talking about him. Joe Rubio wrote me and said, you guys need to honor this man. And people were said, like, no, he was a better human being than he was an athlete. If you were around him, he made you better. And I think a few people, they just have this presence about him. And it sounds like Rafer had it. So this week I've talked so far to Anjo Martinez, former CEO of Deckers, Bob Larson, former UCLA coach, Meb Kofleski. I'm at least going to do something with sort of distance runners sharing memories of Rafer. Because some of these, it's just, I don't know, just it sounds like if you were around this guy, your life was better. But at the very least, read his obituary in the show notes. I need to correct a rare mistake that I made, John. Ms. Thorvaldson lives at 6,800 feet of altitude, not 70. Oh, wait, I left out, carried the Olympic flag in 1960, <laughs> lit the Olympic flame in 1984. Anyways, did y'all hear that? She lives at 6,800 feet of altitude. And John did not talk about this. Jenna Hutchins, who's regarded as the number one U.S. high school girl this year, based off her speed ratings, she's going for the U.S. 5,000 record on the track. This weekend in South Carolina, the record is 15.37 indoors by Caitlin Tui, the fastest time outdoors, Mary Kane, 15.45. All right, guys, I got to get out of here. But people, thanks for listening. Supporting club members, check your feed because soon you're going to have the Malcolm Gladwell podcast coming to you. It's going to be fantastic. Weldon John had a great chat with him. We'll be releasing that after we get a few things ready for everyone else maybe next week or something like that. But support the sponsors. Go to therunnerbox.com. Also go to shop.letsrun.com to get your T-shirts and sign up for the Virtual Marathon Project. Until next week, bye-bye.